When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Hauser, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. There is a chocolatier, a chocolate manufacturer in my hometown who goes by the name of Monsieur Clément. He creates the most wonderful pieces of art, all made from artisanal chocolate. A little while ago I entered his shop with the intention of getting something sweet for my sweetheart who was coming over in the evening and I was surprised to find not him behind the counter but a woman wearing a clean white apron over a floral dress. Her curly hair was fastened in an impressive bonnet atop her head, and her eyes, warm and dark like chocolate, lit up when they saw me. Welcome, welcome, she said, my first customer. Her voice was rich and sweet. I was surprised, not only by her presence, but also by the new creations that filled the shelves, the glass showcase and the table at the center of the shop. My name is Charmaine, but you can call me Charmy, she went on and came out from behind the counter. I'm a traveling chocolatier, a chocolate artist like Monsieur Clément himself, and I step in when other members of the Chocolate Guild are on holiday. He booked me as a special treat for his customers, so here I am. She gave me a dimpled smile. Welcome to Tsuk, Charmy, I replied. And where are you from? Oh, here, there, and everywhere. Are you looking for something in particular, or would you just like to have a wander around the shop? I looked around the shop, quite struck with astonishment. I was used to Monsieur Clément's extraordinary creations, but what I beheld now was something else. On the table at the center of the shop, for example, there were stacks upon stacks of chocolate bars labeled in neat script with hope, kindness, courage, joy and other feelings, complete with tags that describe their whimsical effect. To my right, there were two rippling and bubbling chocolate fountains from which shimmering goldfish leapt back and forth, making tiny splashes every time they dove into the liquid chocolate. Next to the fountains were roundish balls, the size of baby fists, wrapped in gold foil on a silver platter in front of a tablet. The screen of the tablet showed a reel of dark chocolate frogs leaping into mugs of hot milk and dissolving into creamy deliciousness. I watched the display with open mouth and then was distracted by a loud chirping and ruffling of feathers. There, on top of the highest shelf in front of me, were shiny, ornate bird cages with actual birds in them, birds made from chocolate. 
One of them cocked its head and looked at me with its beady eyes. Charmaine followed my gaze. Aren't they cute? She said. I found that birds work best for chocolate pets. I've tried guinea pigs and kitten before. They are very sweet but not suitable for cuddling. You know what warmth does to chocolate. There were many tears from my small customers, so in the end I switched to birds. As she elaborated, I discovered something extraordinary between the glass showcase and the register. What's this? I asked. Well spotted, Charmaine beamed. This is my latest invention. The first teller for this episode is Julie Moss. As a professional storyteller, Julie performs for all ages and group sizes and also offers workshops on the art of storytelling. Her repertoire includes folk tales from around the world, family and personal stories, as well as literary tales. She has also published a book and a CD on Chinese folk tales, which you can find on her website. But before you go to check that out, please enjoy Julie's story of Tui Zhao. Tui Zhao, or Push or Knock, is an ancient Chinese story poem about weighing one's words. Jia Dao, a poet of the Tang Dynasty, was on his way to the capital city of Xi'an to take the imperial exam which he had failed to pass several times, when night overtook him. He saw in a distance a temple in the woods. The moon was full and the evening birds were ending their songs as he arrived bouncing along on his donkey. This inspired Jia Dao to write a new poem. He wrote, Birds perch in the tree by the pool. A monk pushes on the door under the moon. But then he thought, which would be better? Should the monk knock on the door or just push it open? Since he could not figure out which word would be better, he thought, Huh, I'll sleep on it. Wisdom always comes with the first light. So, he dismounted, knocked on the temple door, was admitted by one of the monks, and shown to a room. As he went about getting ready for sleep, he kept asking himself, Push or knock? Knock or push? Accompanied by gestures indicating pushing and knocking. The next morning, he was no wiser than he had been the night before. So after a cup of tea and a little rice, Jia Dao climbed on his donkey and set out for the city of Xi'an, still trying to decide if he should use the word push or knock. Han Yu, a famous scholar poet, was a high official in the capital city of Xi'an. As he was carried through the streets, the people were expected to stay out of his way. Everyone did so, as drawing near meant being removed by his bodyguards. The people were also expected to bow down as his sedan chair passed. The day Jia Dao entered the city, he was concentrating on his new poem, 
and Han Yu was making his way through the city, being carried in his sedan chair. As Jia Dao rode through the streets, he was still thinking about the part of his poem that had him stumped. Oh, should I write, the monk pushes the door open, or the monk knocks at the door, he kept asking himself. And to the amusement of all the people in the street, he began to act out the motions of knocking and pushing while he was bouncing along on his donkey, debating to himself. So intent was he on figuring out which word to use, Jia Dao did not see Han Yu's sedan chair. His donkey jostled Han Yu's carriers, almost causing them to drop the chair. Han Yu was furious. His bodyguards rushed over to Jia Dao. You are under arrest! The poet pleaded, Oh, I did not see Han Yu coming because I was concentrating so hard on this new poem I am writing. But the guards took Jia Dao to Han Yu anyway and made him kneel. Why were you flailing your hands about and not paying attention to your surroundings? Han Yu asked him. The poet folded his hands, hung his head, and pleaded with the high official. Please, please release me. I, I am merely having a wordy dilemma with this new poem I am writing. The words push and knock are swimming about in my head, and I cannot decide which word to use. I was too involved to think about anything else. Hmm, recite the poem and maybe I can help, replied Han Yu, who also loved to write poetry. Jia Dao recited, Birds perch in the tree by the pool. A monk knocks on a door under the moon. Or, do you think the monk should just push the door open? Because he was so intrigued, Han Yu released Jia Dao, and they went off together, acting out the gestures in the new poem, and discussing the poem as they went. Han Yu favored the word knock because knocking would awaken the birds, making the poem go from tranquil to raucous, from yin to yang. And so the poem reads to this day, Birds perch in the tree by the pool. A monk knocks on the door, under the moon. In China, Tui Chao is an expression for deliberation. The origin of the expression, the literary legend you have just heard, is well known among Chinese writers and shows how Chinese poets have always very carefully chosen the words for their poems, especially when the words seem to be equal. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Charmaine's Charmicious Chocolate Creations. 
discover the magic of chocolate made here, there, and everywhere. Charmaine, the traveling chocolatier, will bring the delicious delights of her chocolate creations to your town so you too can indulge in the rich pleasure that is the world of chocolate. From leaping frogs to fluttering birds, fragile florists, or her best selling bars of feelings, Charmaine's charmicious chocolate creations will make everyone believe in magic. She's available for fairs, pop ups, or interim leases. Get in touch now at 1-800-COCO-MAGIC to book her visit to your town. Charmaine brings her own supplies as well as her own hopes and dreams that are sure to leave the place and your palate a much happier place than before. Payment is accepted in all earthly and other worldly currencies. Charmaine's charmicious chocolate creations get your piece of magical goodness now. We have received a new review from Murali X Krishna. I love the podcast and wish I could be a patron. I'm a kid, so for now I'll leave a good review. Smile. I'm Rangan Krishna from Portland, Oregon, USA. This podcast makes my everyday if you quim. I had to look that up and uh, found out that it means know what I mean. Love the guest hosts, so if you see this, I love you and keep making great content. Thank you so, so much for your enthusiasm and your support. It means the world to us, and we will continue to do our very best to keep making your days. May the enchantment of the podcast be everlasting for you and everyone else who listens out there. If you, dear listener, would like to leave us a review, we would love to read from you. You can drop us a line on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at storystorypodcast at gmail.com. Writing a review helps other story lovers find and enjoy the magic of storytelling. If you'd like to support us by becoming a patron, you can, for as little as $4 a month. Not only are there sweet perks included, we'll also tell you what your magical ability is, and if that's not essential information for life, I don't know what is. You can find out more by going to patreon.com forward slash storystorypodcast or storystorypodcast.com. A cotton candy sweet thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. You are the tufts of silky pink clouds on our warm summer eve skies. Between the glass showcase and the register was a small chocolate pot with a small strawberry plant in it, made from chocolate as well, but the detail was mind-boggling. The petals of the blossoms were fragile and almost translucent. The chocolate shavings around the stem of the plant were only identified as such after I touched them with my fingertips and smelled chocolate. The whole plant looked so real that I half expected a bug to crawl from underneath the leaves. This is amazing, I exclaimed, but far too precious for eating. Oh. This is not for eating indeed, Charmaine said. This is for growing and caring. Upon my puzzled look, she explained, put the pot in any spot you particularly like. Just not in direct sunlight because, well, you know, chocolate. Moonlight would be ideal, actually. 
twice a day, you sprinkle the plant with any flavor you like. Rose water, orange or vanilla essence, jasmine green tea, whatever tickles your fancy. If you like it more plain, you can also simply take whole milk. It is crucial, however, not to drown the plant. Do this for a little while and soon you'll be able to harvest your very own chocolate strawberries. Be sure to only harvest as many as you can eat at a time, she cautioned. Otherwise, you'll exhaust the plant on every conceivable level. They are quite fragile. I was charmed and couldn't resist. When I left the shop, I carried several bars of whimsical chocolate in my bag and the pot with the chocolate strawberry plant wrapped carefully in tissue paper. At home, I sat the pot next to my harp, where it was guaranteed to get a bath of moonlight every night. Following Charmaine's instructions very closely, I gingerly drizzled a half thimble of rose water around the stem twice a day. And believe it or not, only a few days later, I was able to harvest the first fruit, careful to only take as much as I needed that moment. The berries were no bigger than the tip of my finger, but they melted in my mouth like butter and tasted more delicious than anything I'd ever had before. I wanted to share my delight with Charmaine and return to the shop and was terribly disappointed when I found Monsieur Clément, the original owner, back behind the counter. Ah, oh, Charmaine is gone, he said cheerfully. Isn't she a delight? I agreed and asked for her whereabouts. In return, I only got a wistful smile. I couldn't tell you even if I knew, he said, and offered me a consolatory raspberry truffle. On my way home, I had to admit that I was quite sad that Charmaine's visit was over, but also delighted that I had met her at all. And if I hadn't believed in magic already, I certainly would now. The second teller for this episode is our very own Rachel Ann Harding. Of course you already know her. She is a formidable storyteller, the force and inspiration behind this podcast, a magical human being and wonderful, wonderful friend. Rachel Ann is based in Colorado and shares her stories both live on stage and in the virtual world. Most recently, she was interviewed by the Modern Romantic Magazine podcast. The episode will be out shortly and you can find it at modernromanticmagazine.com or wherever you get your usual fill of podcasts. And now, please enjoy Rachel Ann's telling of Princess Lily. In China, there lived a farmer named Tu who lived well off of his land. Tu grew pear trees and lilies alongside his rice crop, and each day after lunch, he would lay in the shade of those trees and drift asleep listening to the buzz of the bees looking after the lilies. One spring afternoon, as the blossoms perfumed the air, Tu closed his eyes, and when he opened them, he was in a dream. Standing over him was a man dressed in blue. Tu sat up, and the man bowed. I bring you an invitation from my master. Uh, who is your master? A neighbor. Will you come? Two stood, and with the swiftness of a dream, they were standing among the blossoms of a lemon grove, and in front of him there was a city of white houses, 
stacked on top of each other, reaching to the sky. There was a hum of activity as two followed the man, and many called out to the servant, "'Is that the Honorable Two? Is that our neighbor too? to which the servant would nod in affirmative. They approached the heart of the city, and two was led to a shining palace. All shimmered in golds and reds, the doors were large and gilded, and it was there two faltered for a moment. "'I am flattered at the invitation, but I don't think I am dressed or, or honorable enough to enter.' His guide smiled reassuringly. The prince has long heard of you and wishes you to visit him. The doors were opened and all the treasure in the world seemed contained within that throne room. The prince sat upon the throne and smiled to see to enter. Tu prostrated himself on the floor. I am deeply honored, but I don't know why you would receive me with such favor. We are neighbors. I heard you are a good man. Let us enjoy ourselves. The prince gestured to a seat next to him, and Tu sat. Wine was passed around. The prince and Tu conversed on trees and flowers, and Tu spoke of his garden and the lilies that grew there. A smile illuminated the prince's face. You are fond of lilies? You must meet my daughter. As if those words had summoned her, there was a sound of bells and the smell of yellow cassia blossoms, and Princess Lily entered. The court hummed in admiration. Her skin was the color of honey, and her eyes shimmered from black to green. Two might have let his mouth fall open. The prince smiled. This is my daughter, Princess Lily. Princess Lily floated around the room, greeting courtiers and friends, and Tu could not look at anyone else. Even though she left by another door, the prince turned and commented, I am seeking a husband for my daughter. I would wish her to marry a man like you who appreciates a blossoming garden. Tu did not hear him and only looked at the door longingly where the princess had vanished, hoping to see her reappear. A nearby person tugged at Tu's sleeve, and he started and, and felt his head. Forgive me, I have taken too much wine. It is late, and I do not wish to burden my host. The prince smiled sadly, but nodded. If you do not forget us, I would be glad to invite you again. As Tu was led to the gate, his guide spoke. I saw that you were taken with Princess Lily, and the prince did imply he wished to find her a husband. I thought it strange you remained silent. Do you, do you not wish to marry her? To his horror, Tu realized what he had missed, and it was like being hit in the stomach by an ornery cow. Tu lifted his hand and hit his forehead in distress and smacked himself awake. He sat blinking in the light of the waning day beneath the flowering pear trees, the lilies empty of bees now gone home from their day's work. Each night, as Tu went to sleep, he thought of the lovely Princess Lily and hoped to once again open his eyes in a dream, see the lemon orchard and the white gold city. Each day as he tended his fields, he thought of her. Each night he prayed to dream of her. Sometimes the scent of lemons on the wind would cause him to turn his head, imagining he heard her voice. One night as Autumn cast amused glances at the fading summer, Tu closed his eyes and opened them in a dream.
There was the messenger in blue, smiling at him. The prince would be honored by your company. Two leapt up and followed the servant to the lemon grove. The lemons now heavy on the trees, and there was the shining city before him. There was the palace with the honeycomb of rooms, and when he came through the silks to the court, there was the prince. Two prostrated himself on the floor, and the prince smiled and raised him up. It has come to my understanding you would like to marry my daughter. I do, if she would have me. She is preparing as we speak. Have some wine, and you too will be made ready. In the time that it takes to tell a dream, Tu was dressed in wedding finery. He felt his heart grow to bursting as Lily entered a red veil over her face. They followed the steps of the ceremony, bowing before the Jade Emperor and the ancestors, saying the vows. The wedding feast was as resplendent as any, but when they came to the bridal chamber and lay in the moonlight together, Tu forgot the feast entirely. He asked, Is this a dream? To which the princess responded, You can feel me. Do you think it is? The next morning, too, would not leave Princess Lily's side, getting in the way of the ladies-in-waiting as he helped paint her face. When they moved him aside so they could help her dress, he took up a sash and began to use it, measuring her waist, the length of her leg, even the size of her feet. She began to laugh at him. What are you doing? Two paused. I'm memorizing every part of you. Her eyes changed color from black to green as she gazed at him lovingly. In that moment, a servant came rushing into the room. I must ask you to come to the prince's study. And so they followed him. The prince was leaning over charts of the city, his face pale as scrolls were brought before him. Seeing them enter, he stepped around the table. I have had a message from the Grand Secretary of State with dire news. A creature, a a serpent, ten thousand feet in length, has wrapped around the city, and a flex of its coil crumbles in dire buildings. Its mouth opens wide enough to swallow ten subjects at once. Even now, it makes its way to the palace. We have no place to go. But you, you, my darling, and your new husband, you must flee too felt Princess Lily trembling on his arm, and he turned. I am but a lowly farmer. My home is rough and humble, but you would find safety there if you would deign honor me. The princess looked at him. You honor us with your invitation. Pray take us there. They stepped once, twice, three times, and in the swiftness of a dream they were there in his humble cottage. He felt shame rise in his cheeks to see Princess Lily's splendor there, but when he looked at her face... It was full of wonder. What a grand, delightful home! Please, let all of my family and people come to this place of safety. We will build our city anew. Two looked around him. They would not fit. There is not enough room. Her face began to tremble, and he could not bear to see her cry. So he said, My darling, of course, I I would be happy for them to come. In that moment, he began to wake. Feeling himself leaving the dream, he reached for Lily, but he was swept away as his eyes opened to the morning light. In those moments, as he drifted from sleep to wake, he could almost hear her crying, high-pitched, As he sat up, 
There was a lingering smell of lemon, and he saw bees. That was the sound he had been hearing, the bees coming in from the open window. Some had gathered on his pillow near his ear. He shooed them out gently, but when he left the house to work in the garden, the bees gathered round him. They were crawling on him, on his shovels landing near him, clinging to his clothes. None stung him, but none left when he shooed them away. At a loss, he went to his shed and pulled out an old, empty wooden hive. He took it to the garden, set it among the lilies, and opened it. He saw a queen bee flit from his clothes into the hive, and the bees began to follow, swarming into the hive. But they were not the only ones. A golden trail of bees began to follow them. Two followed the trail of bees down the road until he came to his neighbor's house. His neighbor had been keeping bees as long as two had known him. His neighbor was watching the bees fly down the road when two arrived. He told his neighbor all of the golden city, of the rooms filled with riches, of his marriage to the Princess Lily, and of the snake that was destroying all of that beauty. And when all had been told, he went with his neighbor to the hives, resting beneath lemon trees, and there in the one that was empty of bees they found a long black snake, coiled around the honeycomb, with his wide open mouth scooping them up, tens at a time. They killed the snake, but when two offered to bring the bees back, the man only said, If the bees are happy where they are, they should stay there. And so they did. Two never married, for in the day he had the bees humming and keeping him company, and in the night, in his dreams, he had Princess Lily and the scent of lemon blossoms. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Julie Moss at storiesbyjulie.com and Rachel Ann Harding at rachelannharding.com. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. If you have questions or comments for the podcast, you're very welcome to send us them at storystorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also connect with me directly at isabelhauser.com. If you get in touch, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The inspiration for the fairy tale sponsor and the true fairy tale was a very vivid and weird dream I had last night about the chocolate shop in my town and a particular flower-shaped truffle. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.